Hey guys, welcome to another episode of What the Tech Am I Doing? Today is the long-awaited Samantha Carley. She is a gut health nutritionist or dietitian, registered dietitian. And I know a lot of people have told me to send them the link when this comes out. So, and I've been waiting for this one, so I'm really excited. And we're going to, I think everyone could use a little uh, gut health improvement. So I'm excited to have you on, but thanks for coming. Hi, Dali. Thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear this is long awaited. And I know a lot of people are interested in nutrition and gut health right now, just with everything going on with the pandemic and the world. And just we all need a little bit of extra love and attention, right, on our bodies. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for inviting me. So let's start in giving your background, um, both like how you got into the gut health and then educational background and knowledge. Okay, great. Yeah. So I am, have been a dietitian now for about five years, just came up on my five-year anniversary. Okay. Um, and I also have my master's in clinical nutrition. So I did go the traditional route for my education with getting a clinical degree. Um, I, I entered the field in subacute rehab. So as a clinical dietitian with you know, rehab patients, um, elderly recovery, cancer patients, so things that are really acute um, and just helping people recover from wounds and things like that. So that's been really interesting over the past five years. I originally got into nutrition because um, my father was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease in, around in his 40s. So kind of uh, something I always observed my pretty much my whole life. So I, I always saw that how nutrition really affected him and really just um, how how he ate, right, really affected how he felt with his autoimmune disease mm -hmm. and really made me get into nutrition in the first place. So that's when I ended up going to school for nutrition. And then afterwards, you know, I, being in clinical for a few years, I then made the the turn into gut health. And I just found gut health to be super, super fascinating, just with a lot of new research coming out about the microbiome and the microbiome connection to the brain and all the different systems of the body. Um, and just saw in clinical nutrition too, how a lot of the doctors, um, you know, doing the best they can, but when everyone is getting sick, all they do is give antibiotics. And obviously, the more <laughs> antibiotics someone takes, the more um, nutritionally compromised the gut becomes. So I just, I saw a pattern that I really wanted to then take into my own practice and really just help people prevent, you know, gut damage itself, help, help people have a strong, resilient gut, help people recover from gut issues without using tons of antibiotics, really using a gentle method to strengthen the gut microbiome. Um, achieve healthy weight loss, um, identify like root causes of symptoms instead of just giving some Band-Aid solutions or, you know, a pill for a, a symptom, you know, so trying to use a more holistic route to treat um, a lot of everyday issues like you see like IBS or bloating mm -hmm. or, you know, weight loss resistance that comes along with an imbalanced gut. So um, yeah, just I've come kind of a a different path, but I still do love <laughs> clinical nutrition and I still do that as well. So I'm kind of, I have my, my hands both in both <laughs> at the moment, which I love. It's impressive. And so many of the things you said, I'm so excited to dive into, but just for the people who listen, um, I know that you have the Instagram, which is actually how I found you. I had um, a friend that I knew who to me always seemed healthy and energetic and then she had gone through your one-on-one -on -one coaching program and just saw a significant difference and couldn't have enough rave reviews about you and so that's when I checked you out and that's gut.health.weightloss that's on Instagram so the gut health weight loss um that's a resource people can use I know your program is something other pe people obviously if they're looking for one-on-one -on -one. I'd also want to touch on what should people look out for when they're seeking help um, within their, you know, maybe their medical network and insurance network? Um, just because I've seen a, a varying um, array of advice and I haven't seen some as, as good and applicable as yours. And so just what can people look out for when they're trying to find someone that, that um, could help them? Yeah, that's a Especially great question. 
Yeah, because, yeah, it's it's a great question because there's a lot of lost people just really looking for help, really looking mm -hmm. for advice. And a lot of times a practitioner they go to may not really be listening to what they're saying. They may just say, oh, well, your lab work is normal, right? So you're fine. Well, like a lot that happens with a lot of my clients. So then they'll come to me and, you know, they'll say, well, my doctor said I just have IBS or, you know, my lab work came back normal. So... I don't really know what to do. I've been given an antacid or I've been given just, you know, a laxative. So it's really important to shop around, especially with like a GI doctor, um, even trying out a functional medicine practitioner. They're not always in network. So a GI doctor in your network who you really vibe with, you want to know that they do work well with dietitians, they do a little bit extra testing, maybe with things like SIBO, um, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is what I see a lot go under the radar, especially in conventional medicine. So there are doctors I have, you know, I have some out, you know, out east on Long Island, I'm on, I'm on, you know, the East Coast. But there are a few that I really tend to rely on that I know are in network, and that do practice that SIBO breath test, which is really important and are really just, they really just have open ears. You want to you want to be heard and seen by your doctor and just not, you know, be brushed under the rug with your symptoms. So really don't settle is my advice. Keep finding a doctor who keep looking for a doctor who is actually going to listen to your needs. Um, you know, understand that Maybe if you do want to work with a dietitian or tell them you are working with a dietitian, they're not like, oh, well, they dietitian, you know, you don't, why are you seeing a dietitian? I just want to hand you a, a diet list for the low FODMAP diet and just, mm -hmm. you should be on it forever, which is when, <laughs> what I have seen backfire so many times because then I'll have clients come to me who have been on the low FODMAP diet. I don't, I'm not sure. Do your listeners maybe know what that is? The low FODMAP diet? They might not, but I was actually on it for three months um, back wow. in college. So I am very familiar with it. Okay, so that, <laughs> if that's you could a, explain it. <laughs> yeah, of course. So that's a good amount of time. So you, you don't want to be on it longer than definitely that. I usually even recommend it for only four to six weeks at a time before a structured reintroduction. So I've seen a lot of people come to me on low FODMAP diet for two, three, four, five years and oh their yes, and their gut has become weaker and weaker and weaker the more they are on a restrictive diet. So it's actually damaging long term to the microbiome. So low FODMAP just means low in fermentable carbohydrates, just foods that are highly reactive if you're having a bacterial overgrowth or imbalance in your gut, where you know you may have some bacteria that are more pathogenic or more a little bit more harmful that are a little overgrown and the good bacteria numbers are lower. So those foods are just very reactive. Um, things like bananas that are ripe, apples, garlic, onion, asparagus, a lot of these things which have good prebiotics are very, you know, harmful and just cause a lot of symptoms for people with IBS or dysbiosis or a SIBO at times. So I really use it as a tool for a temporary period while we're working on the root cause of why you have these symptoms with my clients. And I think another thing you mentioned was one, don't settle with, you know, who you're seeking help with, but also don't, I think it's important to not settle on how you feel. Uh, I feel like it's almost become like a running joke that, you know, all women just have gut issues and, and you'll see these things on um, like social media where they're like, this is what I look like in the morning. And they're like, this is what I look like after breakfast. And they're like, don't worry, we all look pregnant after breakfast. And you're like, no, that's like, like concerning amount of bloating after taking a few bites. And, and I used to be in that state where I, if I ate something that um, I knew would, would trigger my food sensitivities, I would be like significantly bloated. And I feel like, it's almost normalized. Um, so I, you know, urge the listeners, it is not normal. And, you know, that can affect energy and like mental, your mind, it's all connected. And we'll talk about that more um, throughout the episode. But, you know, it, it's good to take action and, and strive for, for better for yourself. And your yes, body. yes, I agree. Thank you so much for saying that, because people have said that to me as well, you know, all over Instagram, 
there's a trend that like bloating is normal. And it really, it's so dangerous to say this as a blanket statement across the internet and across just in chatting through friends that, oh, your bloating is totally normal. It happens to everyone. Whereas it can actually be an underlying condition that's really, Mm -hmm. that if it goes unchecked for a long period of time, there's it can create a lot of chronic inflammation and chronic disease, autoimmunity in the body that did not have to happen if it just is left unchecked. So I urge listeners as well that if you're getting like a pregnant looking bloat by the end of the day, every day, or right after you eat, you're getting this hard upper stomach bloating, that can be an indication of a microbial imbalance, a gut microbiome issue that should definitely be looked into because you definitely, you know, again, like we said, not normal and you should not have to feel like that every day. You know, it's not normal to feel sick every day and need to lay down after eating or need to take a Tums or antacids. So (laughs) I think, thank you for bringing that up too. Exactly. So that's something like my dream state, right. Would be like infinite energy um, and not feeling like you have to take lay down or taken out I mean obviously our bodies need rest but what advice would you have for people who are lacking energy and want to use food and fuel um to food and nutrition to fuel them and give them that energy sustained throughout the day yeah that's a great question because I feel like just as a society there's like a lot of burnout right now and mm-hmm. we can really use nutrition and lifestyle interventions as a tool to create more energy in our everyday lives just feel more naturally energized without reaching for a caffeine without reaching for sugar so um, a major one I would say is blood sugar balance and regulation so um, what that means is basically, getting off a blood sugar roller coaster throughout the day. So the more our blood sugar is going up and down throughout the day, the more it's fluctuating and going from really high highs to low lows, that's when we're getting energy spikes and dips as well. So the way to prevent that is by having a really balanced, you know, overall balanced meals, but especially balanced breakfast. So really focusing on not just having a carb only breakfast, if that's the one thing that you can commit to, I definitely recommend that as like my top recommendation. So avoiding just a bagel with, you know, a little smear of butter or toast with jelly, um, just having pancakes with syrup, a bowl Mm -hmm. of cereal. So things like that are really setting you up for poor blood sugar regulation throughout the day. So I definitely recommend adding in some eggs, some avocado, a little bit of oatmeal. If you're going to do oatmeal, I would say add some protein. So like a protein powder or almond butter, um, definitely like a cleaner protein powder too. That's either like a high quality grass fed collagen or like an organic pea protein with minimal ingredients. Um, but definitely focusing on a little bit higher protein and higher healthy fats and keeping the carbs balanced and paired. And same with snacks too. I always recommend that If you're getting like an afternoon slump, you really want to reach for something sugary. I highly recommend pairing a fruit or a carb, let's say you have crackers or or fruit, pairing them with protein. So pairing them with some almonds or, uh, you know, some a hard boiled egg or some nut butter. So really just focusing on pairing your carbs with protein and fat, that's going to make a big difference in energy for sure. And also you want to make sure you're not under eating, right? So a lot of times I see clients, you know, I, I take, take their intake for the day and a lot of people are under eating. And even if their goal is weight loss, their body is then holding on to their excess fat storage because it's in a state of survival mode. It's really just like hanging on to the storage that it has And it's really not given the tools to like breathe and feel good and rested to be able to achieve their goals. So under eating is a big one, especially for lack of energy. So enough carbs and healthy meals and healthy fats and protein throughout the day, but making sure to not have carbs alone. That's good advice. And then you mentioned protein. Do you have protein powders you recommend that I feel like it's very hard to... Some things are even, you know, marketed as clean and then you look into it. 
So, you know, do you have brands you recommend or things? Yeah, sure. For proteins? Yeah, sure. Usually for if I have a, a client with gut issues, I like to recommend one that are more gentle on the gut. So I really like this Sun Warrior brown rice protein. There's like a chocolate and vanilla. That one's very easy to digest. I also really do like collagen, grass-fed collagen, like ancient nutrition or further food, which are really easily tolerated on the gut. Um, I also like Truvani came out with a clean pea protein powder. So there are a few that I like. Yeah, there's also the Primal Kitchen ones that I really like. If you if you can tolerate like coconut milk, there's a little bit of that added. Um, but yeah, definitely. I There's a few, you know, I definitely am kind of a stickler for ingredients, especially in those kind of powders. But yeah, that's a good question. And yeah. And I also just, you know, want to emphasize just the fundamentals, right? So sleep, are you, are you getting enough sleep? Are you someone who wakes up super early four or 5am to go to the gym, but then you're missing out on your sleep. (laughs) So I would just reevaluate some of those big things. Like if you're, you know, skimping on sleep to get a workout, I'd rather you get eight to nine hours of sleep every night and then get a movement in a better way that you can, you know, fit in later in the day. Um, You know, also getting into nature, right? So a lot of us are lacking that natural light exposure that's good for our hormones. So really trying to even when you get up in the morning, just even look out the window or step outside, just let your body know that it's daylight, get some, you know, it stops the melatonin production. So just and even if you can get your feet in some grass, that's really, really grounding, really, really good for just like a natural energy boost. Just and and same with vitamin D. So getting that vitamin D boost, same thing. So just natural sunlight exposure and even checking uh, while I'm on the vitamin D topic, checking your vitamin Mm -hmm. D level is really, really a good idea because I've seen way low levels um, and low can even be sometimes in the normal range. So I highly recommend everyone getting their vitamin D checked. Um, And if it's in the 20s, 30s, 30s and up is technically normal, but it's not optimal. (laughs) So I highly recommend getting tested. And if needed, definitely supplementing for energy because most people are in the low range. And if not, they're low normal and normal is not optimal. So you want it to be in the 50s to 60s even, um, even if the normal range starts at 30 that's one thing that I I so I've lived in California most of my life but then I went to um, New York for college and that was one thing I didn't realize was a lot of people there have to supplement the vitamin d I mean I'm sure now with um I sit indoors most days with work um could still probably use it but that's a big thing on the east coast right it's because if you're not getting a lot of sun more people tend to be vitamin D or is that regardless of where you live? Yeah. You know, it's, it's also has to do with your latitude. So we're at a higher latitude. We're not as close to the equator. So we're not getting as much direct sunlight um, just from our location on, you know, on the planet as well. (laughs) So yeah, just like a little bit more North in latitude. So that does affect it as well. And I do tend to see more people on vitamin D on, you know, on the vitamin D supplements um, in the Northeast for sure. So when people are looking at supplements, what are your guidelines, recommendations for that? Um, you know, like a daily vitamin or, or how would they obviously starting with knowing what you're lacking? Um, but that, but then what? Yeah. So it really is, it's very individualized, especially if someone is having gut issues or so just for the average person who is generally healthy or they're just looking for energy boosting. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say definitely assessing, like we said, vitamin D, if you're not having wild caught fish, such as like wild salmon a few times a week, I would 100% say that you would benefit from a high quality omega-3 fatty acid supplement. I really do love using that. And I think everyone needs more omega-3s. We have a really high omega-6 intake in our, especially in the American, the standard diet. So that ratio to omega-6 to omega-3 is too high where we want to really minimize that gap with more omega-3s in the diet. Um, So if you're not having lots of salmon, flax seeds, chia seeds, um, I would definitely, you know, suggest a omega-3 with usually you want it to be 
a thousand uh, milligrams of EPA and DHA combined. So you really want to watch because a lot of brands will kind of skimp out and not put that much in there. So, <laughs> so I really like Nordic Naturals because they do meet that requirement of a thousand milligrams of EPA and DHA. Um, and then I, I also really like to use magnesium often, um, especially the form of magnesium glycinate. It's very easily absorbed and many of us are deficient in magnesium just due to our soil having less magnesium, for, you know, our foods not having as much minerals as they should um, with a lot of like monocrop, you know, and agricultural practices. Um, and a lot of us burn through magnesium very easily with chronic stress, you know, a lot of minerals are depleted more easily, um, with just like a high fast paced lifestyle, especially, you know, in the U S so that's one of my go-tos as well. But I, I really do believe it's, it's on an individualized basis. Um, like you said, and always really looking for third party testing with supplements, making sure that, um, the claims are also coming from another reliable source and not just the company selling to you. <laughs> so what does a daily vitamin hurt anyone or could it only be beneficial if the average person is like, well, I take this daily vitamin and um, maybe they're not searching out for things. Is that still beneficial? Yeah. Um, yeah. Overall, it really would be good for anyone. I, I do believe you can have a g really good, well-balanced intake and not need a multivitamin forever. Um, but I tend to like to use them when I'm helping someone recover from gut issues, especially mm. with things like if they're having more loose stools, um, if they're, ha if they're under eating, um, just making sure that they're getting the nutrients their body should be getting as we're working on healing the gut, helping to absorb nutrients better from their food as well. So I don't think it's necessary for everyone to go out and buy a multivitamin and be on one <laughs> forever and ever and ever. But I do think they have a really good place for short time periods and periods if you feel like you need a little extra nutritional boost that you feel like maybe you're not getting from your food. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So on the topic of under eating and making sure we're absorbing enough nutrients, what advice do you have for people who want to lose weight in a healthy way? It's, uh, I know you mentioned balanced meals um, and getting the carbs versus the protein and the fats, but I, you know, it's a, it's a tricky line between, you know, deficient calorie deficit to lose weight, but then you obviously want to fuel your body and be energized throughout the day. So what advice do you have for those types of people? Yes, that's a great question. So yeah, we talked about balanced blood sugar. That's a really big one because insulin resistance plays a big role in weight loss and being able to get in that calorie deficit, being able to get your weight a little bit lower. So we really don't want those blood sugar swings throughout the day. I always recommend for my clients about half of your plate aiming for non-starchy vegetables instead of doing a calorie counting, you know, instead of counting macros and really like weighing your food or anything like that. I really like to keep it more simple. I use a balanced plate method with half of your plate, non-starchy veggies like greens and, you know, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, all those non-starchy veggies, and then a quarter of your plate um, whole grains or starchy vegetables, whether that's like potatoes or sweet potatoes or brown rice or quinoa. Um, and then a quarter of your plate, um, high quality protein, whether it's chicken or beef or turkey, fish, tofu, tempeh. So I really like to use this overall method as well, you know, as well as adding a little healthy fat in there. So like depending on someone's needs, um, a tablespoon or two tablespoons of healthy fat, whether it's avocado or olive oil or, you know, coconut oil or, you know, avocado oil, walnuts, nuts, seeds. So all those different things. And this can really be applied to anyone's diet, really. And I really try to, I, you know, I encourage everyone, you know, you want to be met where you're at. So you really want to start out with what you're, you know, we want to evaluate your diet, you know, really just help you make small changes, right? So how can you change your day by just adding a vegetable in here? How can you, you know, how can you make your plate look better? How can you 
increase your vegetable intake with diet and increase your diet and plant diversity. That's a big way to reduce inflammation in your gut um, and really just facilitate weight loss when you're actually promoting a really good gut microbiome and you're you're building resiliency in your gut. And that does um, increase your, that increases your short chain fatty acid production. And if I'm not sure if your listeners have heard of short chain fatty acids, but things like butyrate, perpionate, and acetate. So the more fiber you're eating, like let's say you're getting those two half plates of vegetables twice a day, you're increasing your postbiotics, those short chain fatty acids, butyrate, acetate, and perpionate. And what that's doing is that's improving your fat metabolism. So weight, weight is so much more than calories in and calories out. So you're actually improving the way your body stores fat and you're actually able to lose more weight just by eating more plants too, sometimes regardless of the rest of your diet. It's it's funny how I love that you're focusing on the health aspect and then it's like, oh, look at the benefits. You know, yes, it'll help you, you know, maybe achieve the body you want or all these things, but, you know, first focusing on what's important. Yeah, focusing on the health of the body, the health of the gut. And then usually I see weight loss as a byproduct where someone will say to me, I don't even feel like I'm dieting or I'm trying to lose (laughs) weight, you know, and they'll just, their body will naturally want to gravitate more towards that healthier weight because it is in a better health state and there's lower inflammation and you have more probiotic species in the gut that are then modulating better immunity and just, yeah, overall, just a healthier, you know, lifestyle, healthier, all this, you know, all the systems of your body are functioning a little bit better. Yeah. And definitely approaching it from a non-calorie counting way, I think promotes, I'm sure, less stress around it. Yes. better mentality and then like you said you're able to anyone's able to do it you know you're not going to a restaurant and you're like how much is in this you know yeah it's like okay I should you know make sure there's veggies in it make sure it's balanced and yes but keeping it that. yeah keeping it more simple so it doesn't feel like a diet it feels like a lifestyle change that you can continue on and just continue eating that way it should be you know a weight loss plan should look like very much like your maintenance plan right we don't want to like go on this restrictive diet, like, you know, doing keto and then, you know, you stop keto (laughs) and then you gain all the weight back. So we want it to look very similar to the way you're going to eat the rest of your life. So something that is sustainable, that really isn't super drastic, that's focused, you know, a health focused approach and strengthening your gut is again, super important as well as supporting hormone health by eating lots of things like cruciferous veggies and leafy greens and things like beets, um, you know, lots of low sugar berries, nuts and seeds, all of things supporting hormone health as well is really key to weight loss as well. Because when I see hormones out of balance as well, things like estrogen, progesterone, it's very hard for someone to lose weight, no matter how much they're eating or trying to get into a calorie deficit. So that's really important too. And hormones and these imbalances I I know that there's a gut mind body connection um can you talk about that I'm not super knowledgeable of it but I do know obviously how your gut's doing has there's been a lot of studies to show it, it significantly impacts like happiness and and um levels that you know clarity and energy obviously but but happiness is a huge one and and your mind state so can you shed any light on that? Yeah, definitely. It's such a such an interesting topic that is really starting to just emerge with a lot of new research. Yeah, so there's something called the gut brain axis. So our microbes are actually in communication with our brain at all times. That we have something called the vagus nerve, which runs from our brain to the gut. Um, so there's constant communication all the time between the gut and the brain. We have a lot of serotonin that's actually made in the gut. So gut health has a major impact on our mood, our anxiety levels, depression, um, irritability, things like even personality. So there's a lot of, there's always a streamline back and forth, especially between the vagus nerve and neurotransmitters that are affecting each other. So again, then if you have, you know, if you're someone suffering from depression, there are certain microbes that we see that 
are different. You know, the microbiome profiles look different in someone who's depressed versus someone who's not. So it's, it's such a super interesting field that's really emerging and that you could even really change your brainwaves and, you know, change your mood, change your um, energy, like we talked about before, just by even focusing on the gut and gut health and really cleaning up the gut. I've, I've seen major improvements in mood and and anxiety and, you know, personality and just so many different things that I've seen um, just really by improving gut health. That's amazing. It takes us, you know, a step or a support system or something. Cause I'm sure if you are depressed, um, I would assume you'd reach for the food that's not as good for you because then you, and then it fuel obviously makes you, you don't get as much nutrition from maybe that like bag of chips or whatever you're kind of craving when you're in that swampy mood. And then it kind of makes the cycle. So do you have any advice for someone who maybe is listening to this and then, you know, to, to break that cycle, I would assume just reaching out and having a support system of some sort and making that first step, but yeah, specific. yeah, definitely reaching out, you know, having an open line of communication with your loved ones, um, even seeing a therapist is super helpful just to talk out your emotions. Um, and even just knowing that, you know, it's really not your fault, like cravings are there. And um, actually, our microbiome affects a lot of our cravings. So there's, there's certain microbes that actually prefer foods, right? So the more that you eat a certain food, like the more if you're eating chips a lot or sugar or um, just any processed foods, you're actually selecting for bacteria to reproduce that, you know, that like that food. So they're actually, you're, it's not just you, (laughs) it's not just you craving your craving. It's actually your microbes telling you through the gut brain axis that they, those, those bacteria that have been enjoying those foods are like growing or multiplying and they want more of them. So you could even, you know, say to yourself, okay, it's honestly just like what my body's going through right now. And I'm going to honor the craving, but I'm going to have less of it, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm going to also have this food too, because then I'm going to gr- promote the growth of these other good bacteria that want an apple. So you can actually, you know, try to manipulate your gut microbiome, which can actually change very quickly. So if you make some good diet changes, you can actually change your microbes within like, it's even been shown that it it can change very much in like 48 hours, your microbes. So yeah, so it's like, your choices actually really matter every day. And the more you swing towards healthier foods, not to say to never have, you know, chips or never have sugar, Mm -hmm. but you know, the more you have those good things in your diet, the more, the less cravings you're actually going to have for the, for the less healthy foods. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So interesting. I I love all of this. I could talk about it for hours. I went into biomedical engineering, but other paths would have been in nutrition because I find it fascinating. Oh, that sounds like an amazing path as well, though, too. Yeah. I like yeah. <laughs> but then I get to do this and pick your brain. Yeah. <laughs> Best of both worlds. Yeah. So the, so we talked about the microbiome and picking foods that will, you know, fuel that and and feed it in a nutritious way. What people can tend to do, and especially with the culture and diet culture and everything like that, there's a lot of diet foods that instead of maybe eating the cookie where people are eating the, the fake, the cookie with like fake sugars and, and low fat and, um, these added chemicals and especially with water, like, you know, you can always get fake sugar added into it. How does that affect the microbiome? And obviously, you know, obviously that impacts the, the mind state as well. Yeah. So that's a great question because there has been a lot of research, even with things like Splenda with aspartame, um, they can actually drastically affect the microbiome and they can actually kill a lot of good species. So over time, we actually see, even though they're not having a lot of sugar, we see a lot of chronic inflammation and insulin resistance with people who have, you know, who drink all these like diet Coke or 
things sweetened with Splenda or aspartame um, just because it is very damaging to the gut. And I'd much rather have someone, you know, have a small amount of something sweetened with, with regular sugar that they enjoy than going for like the fake sugar. So yeah, that's, that's really important too. And, and same with even things with like fiber, like there's been a, like a craze with big added fiber. So added chicory root or added inulin. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this wreak havoc on so many guts. Like so many people are getting sensitive to these drinks and foods and bars and trying to eat more fiber in quotes, but like they should just be eating more real foods instead because our body really wasn't meant to break down like 12 grams of fiber from a fiber bar, right? It was meant Mm -hmm. to digest foods in their natural state, not from an, you know, not from a bar that's loaded with, you know, tons and tons of fiber that's not natural for us to digest at once. Yeah, because it's different, right? Like the, will you also end up getting, like if you ate something, for example, that's fresh out the ground with 12 grams of fiber, for example, you know, and you also ate a bar with 12 grams of fiber, the fiber in the bar is processed, right? So like the way, even the, the calories and the way it goes into your body isn't equal, I'm assuming. Yeah, definitely. And how, you know, it doesn't have all these phytochemicals and antioxidants and polyphenols Mm. and even vegetables themselves have their own microbiomes that, you know, you're getting good microbes from those veggies and fruits as well, too. And even it's, it is actually very difficult to eat 12 grams of fiber from a vegetable (laughs) or fruit. Yeah, because that is, it's kind of a lot. And we would get full more quickly, you know, eating it from its natural state compared to when it's like stuffed into a bar or a can, (laughs) like a can of soda or something. Um, So yeah, it's definitely much better to get your fiber from the whole source because then you're getting all those other benefits too that benefit the rest of your gut, your microbiome, you know, and your whole body. And people who are getting bloated, we, we touched on some some pieces of advice, but I wanted to give you the opportunity if there's anything else. People who are getting bloated after meals have a lot of food sensitivities. I noticed that once you tend to get one sensitivity, they, they just start stacking up and you find all these other things. And kind of once you start knocking down those food sensitivities, the same goes. Things stop bothering you as much. Do you have advice for those types of people who are maybe getting bloated or struggling, not, not having sensitivities to all these different things? Yeah, I see this more and more, um, like with more heavy antibiotic use, you know, more I've seen happen with food poisoning events, um, just, Mm. just not being able to determine why, you know, you have this shift in your microbiome, and then you're seeing more bloating, more sensitivities. So um, I, I would recommend working with someone that can help you really find the root cause, whether it's a doctor or a dietitian, really worked on getting that root cause of your bloating. So whether it's possibly a bacterial overgrowth or low probiotic, low good bacteria, um, whether maybe it has to do with your stomach acid, maybe you need to look at your liver, gallbladder, and pancreas, maybe your bile flow isn't good, isn't flowing properly. Um, definitely looking at like your enzymes or pancreatic enzymes. That's great too. Um, I like to do sometimes microbiome testing and that really gives us insight into why you're having some reactions to foods or why you're not having good bowel movements that those could be really helpful. Even SIBO breath tests, which I mentioned earlier, with mm-hmm. detecting if there's any upper stomach overgrowth that's causing any reflux, um, causing nausea, heavy bloating. So really, instead of cutting out foods, you want to dive deeper into why you're having this bloating. You know, again, we don't want it to prolong and progress where it's something more serious. Um, you also want to make sure that is nothing more serious at the present. So you do want to work with a GI doctor just to rule out things like celiac disease, um, you want to rule out colitis or Crohn's disease, which are all autoimmune diseases. So you really want to make sure that, you know, before you really tackle, you know, that with anything with the microbiome, you really just want to make sure there's no more serious issues like that going on. Um, and it's also sometimes good to to also test for food allergies. Sometimes food allergies develop later in life. 
Um, so you do want to just assess for the major players there. And my advice would be then to just also not cut out more and more foods from your diet because the more limited your diet is, the more restricted it will become because your gut does become weaker with the the less you know foods you can actually tolerate. The more you cut out of your diet, the weaker your gut becomes. So you want a really, you know, even if you're having small amounts of foods that you think maybe you haven't been able to tolerate well, if you introduce foods very, very, very slowly back into your diet, you can pretty much like rehab your gut to be able to handle certain foods again. And it is, it's kind of like going to the gym. It's kind of like your gut, <laughs> your gut is going to the gym. So we got to, you can't start out by going to the gym and lifting like a hundred pounds if you haven't lifted in a while. Right. So if you got, you want to, you know, let's, let's say add some seeds or broccoli to your diet or like, Oh, I haven't eaten broccoli in years. You really want (laughs) to start out with a very small amount and work your way up, you know, work it back into your diet where then it's not causing any symptoms and you're really expanding the strength of your gut and the resiliency to be able to have less food sensitivities and less foods that you're, you know, you you can't tolerate yeah that's what I found was the most helpful for myself as well so I in college got diagnosed with Crohn's disease and at the time it was I was not seeing good doctors well they were decent um but the advice would all was like here take these four pills every day um sucks to suck you know (laughs) it is what it is you know yeah and then eventually found the um someone directed me to the FODMAP diet one of my doctors and so I tried that I did it probably strictly for a month or two and then um started to reintroduce stuff more out of impatience uh especially (laughs) like you like the garlic and onion was the hardest thing for me especially going out to eat so hard that's the hard those are the hardest Uh, ones and then you're just you're ordering like chicken breasts and you're like can I just could you not see them you know (laughs) yeah yeah but it it gave my gut I think the break it needed and then um I still wasn't perfect I think after that but I was much better like I wouldn't um get bloated after like eating one thing and then um more recently I've been able to wean fully off so I've been now like two months off successfully knock on wood um all the medication and it was because I was listening to all these things saying like the microbiome which I was learning about and the diversity of food and how beneficial it can be and obviously introducing it slowly but that I think that was the most helpful thing for me is I used to eat very standard I think my day-to-day was pretty similar and now I'm like how many veggies can I throw into this dish or you know how many like I had an acai bowl for lunch and I was like, we'll throw chia seeds and flax seeds and I'll just like randomly grab all these things and top it and I won't even notice it's in there. Yes, I um, love it. I love and so it. So I'll that add like 10 seeds and like three veggies snuck into a smoothie, you know? So yes. it really, it really works. <laughs> it really does work. And if anyone wants to try a challenge at home, I always love recommending this challenge. So um, I, I, it's called the 30 plans challenge. So oh. you basically for seven days, you tally up how many different planned foods you have and you try to make it to 30. So mm-hmm. obviously, you know, if you have a very limited diet, maybe start with 15 and then work maybe the next week up to 30. But yeah, it's a really great way to just try to expand your diet diversity, try different plant foods, really grow the strength of your gut and just you know, really work on healing your microbiome. So you have long lasting health and lowered inflammation, lower your disease risks, help promote weight loss. So it's really just a great, yeah, just a great place to start with trying to add more plants to your diet. Yes. I love that. Especially, I mean, it's, it's a simple thing and there's so many recipes now for plant-based and you don't have to be plant-based, but I feel like those recipes at least throw like five just in one dish so you know nowadays there's so many options to reach yeah and you could always throw a piece of protein on top you know even if you do a big diverse plant meal if you're not a vegetarian or you don't want to be vegetarian you can still add like a meat as your I like to call it a condiment so using it (laughs) as like the part of your a part of your dish but not the star of your dish right so really seeing plants as the star of your dish and using meat as a little bit of added flavor and protein. 
Yes. I, I did notice the difference. I think my, I would always be like, oh, I'm having, which meat am I having for the week? And then I'd figure out what size I want with it. And when I changed that to be like, what's my main dish with veggies or carbs or fat going to be? And then I'm like, do I want to add some seafood or, you know, do I want, does chicken or turkey sound good to add in there with steak on top, you know? So I think it very much, it's a very small change in my head. But it changed how I grocery shopped a lot and how I Yeah, eat. yeah. It's a subtle shift, but it can really make a difference overall with your health and just feeling your best. Definitely. Okay, so before we get to the final piece of advice, wanted to pick your brain on inter- intermittent fasting because I noticed I know you said the importance of a balanced breakfast and you know the blood sh- balanced blood sugar and regulation throughout the day. I've heard a lot of benefits for intermittent fasting, but that obviously means that there's a chunk of the day where you're not getting food to yourself, but it could also help give your gut a break. So where do you stand there? Yeah, I'm kind of like in the middle with intermittent fasting because I've seen it do really well for people and people thrive on it, but I've also seen it really hurt someone where then they're lacking hunger cues, right? They're Mm. um, reducing, they can be possibly reducing their stomach acid. And that's something we need to address with them. So I wouldn't want them to be intermittent fasting. I think it can be well used as like you said, it's like a little bit of a gut rest. Um, But I don't, I wouldn't recommend more than like 14 to like 16 hours. Like I really like the overnight fast and maybe even yeah. having breakfast a little later, maybe like 10, 10 30 when you're actually getting hungry. You know, I don't, I'd rather someone not really force breakfast, you know, <laughs> if they're not super hungry, just wait a little bit, have a little bit slightly longer fast and then have a really balanced breakfast. That's, you know, an hour or two later, but I, I have seen where, you know, someone's eating on a window from, you know, noon to 7 p.m. and they're completely ignoring their hunger cues they're eating more (laughs) than they would have if they just ate three balanced meals Mm -hmm. Um, so it really depends on the person and whether or not I think it's appropriate for them or if you for those of you listening if you feel like you would just binge during that time period that were you you know if you're an all or nothing person then I would really use your discretion on that but I usually recommend more of a balanced meal approach with three meals a day and getting some time actually in between those, those meals is important. So if you're, if you're fasting between like, let's say 12 and eight, like we said, you're going to have less time between meals. Whereas the gut really benefits from rest, like three to four hours of gut rest between breakfast and lunch and lunch and dinner. Um, so that's why getting those balanced meals is good because if you are, you're then you're, you're not needing to snack as much or, you know, be kind of snacky between meals. Um, because that what, what, um, is at work in between those meals is called your migrating motor complex. And that's in your small intestine. It's a little bit different from peristalsis. It's like the clean sweeper of your small intestine. It's cleaning out food. It's cleaning out bacteria, So we want those things to clear out before we have the next meal because the MMC, the migrating motor complex, doesn't move or doesn't work when we're eating. So it stops when we're eating. Mm -hmm. So we want to give it time, like three, at least three hours, better yet, even four sometimes, to really just clear out the food we just ate so it doesn't lead to bloating. Oh, I've never heard of that before. Makes sense. Yeah, it's really important for SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So we really hone in on that. And the vagus nerve, which we were talking about before, actually really affects the migrating motor complex as well. So vagus nerve stimulation is really good for gut motility. So stimulating the vagus nerve with things like, sounds kind of funny, but like gargling water, like after you brush your teeth, like 30 seconds, that's really good for your vagus nerve. Meditation is really good for your vagus nerve. Yoga, um, hiking, being out in nature. Um, What else? Ginger is also really stimulating for the migrating motor complex. So just there's like a few tools in the toolbox that you can use if you are having slower gut motility and, you know, you really want to address that MMC and having the space between your meals is really, is really great. Hmm. Thank you. That's really insightful. I'm going to have to look into that more. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Okay. So what is one last piece of advice that you'd like to leave the audience with? 
Ooh, one piece. Hmm. So, <laughs> so just it can like be more talk- than one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, like I touched on earlier, digging deeper. So not settling, like we said, not settling for just feeling like crap, not settling for just feeling tired and bloated every day, not settling if you get normal results back from your blood work, stating that your blood work is normal, going to a new doctor that is listening to you and listening to what you have to say, working with a dietitian, working with a holistic dietitian that is seeing you as a whole body, as a whole person, and not just seeing you as parts of your body. That's really important too. Um, And just again, really focusing on plant diversity in your diet. If that's one thing you take away, try a new plant at the grocery store, go to a farm, go to a local farmer's market, even better, and try some different, different vegetables that you haven't tried or, you know, try something new you haven't tried in a really long time. And, um, yeah, just really, uh, just focusing on those veggies is what I, is what my main love is for nutrition and gut health do they need to be have a preference i mean veggies are veggies but organic versus non-organic i personally like to use the dirty dozen and the clean 15 which are the environmental group um lists so every year the environmental working group comes out with these two lists based on pesticide levels um specifically usually glyphosate which is uh you know a widespread used um, pesticide in the U.S. So I always like to just buy organic on the Dirty Dozen, which usually is greens, a lot of spinach, peaches, cherries, um, peppers. Um, so there's those are usually common ones that are always on the Dirty Dozen. So I definitely recommend Googling those and just trying to reduce your pesticide exposure a little bit, but I wouldn't say go crazy. You know, you can totally, there's a whole, the whole clean 15 list that is all recommended that you shouldn't buy organic because it has very low levels of pesticides. So save your money where you can Mm -hmm. and only buy from the dirty dozen organic. Awesome. Thank you. That's really helpful. Not, you know, for people who are trying to budget. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah. All about the budget. Yeah. So where can they find you? If so, people are, I'm sure they're going to end this and they're going to be like, I want more. Where can I get more of this? <laughs> yes. Thank you for having me. Um, you can find me on Instagram at gut.health.weightloss. And you could also find me on my website at www.freshplatesnutrition.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a world of knowledge packed into um, an hour and I feel like I could continue to pick your brain, but I think this is going to help people and if nothing else, uh, motivate them to pay attention to what they're eating and um, realize that, you know, it, it can affect mood and, you know, energy and your mind and your weight, you know, how you feel. So it's really important. And sometimes it goes unnoticed. So bring some attention and information to it today. Yes, I'm so glad. And thank you for having me on. Thank you for letting me speak about something I'm so passionate about and, and just being able to spread the message of good gut health.